Hello and welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast, part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee, joined by Billy Derrick and Luke Wyatt. Uh, our podcast is presented by the Anchor Collective. And, and Billy, I'll let you tell us a little bit about that. Or excuse me, Anchor Impact. Yes, Anchor Impact, uh, Commodore Nation. Which is, you which can is get the closer. collective, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We're off right. to a rousing uh, start this morning. Yes, no longer Anchor Impact Fun, but Anchor Impact, and uh, b- because of that, uh, in this partnership, hey Billy, Billy, let's just let's just start over. Um, yeah, let's. Uh, no, we're good, we're good. Uh, okay. Commodore Nation, you can get closer to Vanderbilt Athletics than ever before with Anchor Impact, the official NIL collective for Vanderbilt University. You can gain access to unmatched, exclusive coverage and be part of a one of a kind community. As an Anchor Impact member, you gain exclusive privileges and benefits offering deeper engagement with student athletes, coaches, staff, and the entire Vanderbilt community. Access behind-the-scenes content, exclusive events, unique merchandise, and personalized experiences, creating an unparalleled connection with the student athlete's journey. You also became become a catalyst for change, redefining the landscape of college athletics and showcasing the potential impact of NIL on student athletes' lives. Join the mission of Anchor Impact to support student-athletes and elevate Vanderbilt Athletics to new heights. Become a member today and be part of this impactful journey. Help the Commodores thrive and contribute now by logging on to Anchor Impact slash register. Basketball season, which we'll probably discuss some today. we got a lot of stuff to cover. Uh, Presented by the Wash House. Are you dreading laundry day? Is it stealing time for the things you truly enjoy? Let the laundry professionals at the Wash House take care of you. With two convenient locations in the Nashville area, just drop off your dirty laundry. Our professional attendants can give you back the one thing you can never have enough of, and that is your time. Within 24 hours, you can pick up your nicely folded, fresh, clean laundry ready to be put away. Check them out at washhouseclean.com. Step in today. Get your time back. Our show also presented by the Murfreesboro Pure Milk Studio, presented by the Murfreesboro Pure Milk Company, a family-owned third-generation milk and ice cream distribution company located in Murfreesboro, a partnership that began over 50 years ago with Purity Dairy in Nashville to provide purity milk and ice cream to consumers in Middle Tennessee. They now serve Southern Kentucky, Northern Alabama, Chattanooga, and North Georgia. Today, they supply grocery stores, convenience stores, and others with purity products as well as Mayfield, Nestle, and haagen Ice Cream. For more information, visit their website at mpmci.com. Gentlemen, we got a lot to unpack. I've got a hard out at about nine today, so I'm, I'm going to let you go beyond me. And I definitely want to get into the mailbag. But um, just a, a long week with, with the blowout at Tennessee, two basketball losses, um, transfer portal happenings. I don't even know where to start. Uh, Luke, Luke, I'll I'll start with you. What's on your mind today? Uh, well, as I spoke about four weeks ago, the most important thing for Vanderbilt football uh, right now is these next month, month and a half. Uh, the coaches' meetings, the AFCA here in Nashville, will determine. Um, uh, you know, I, I know Clark will be interviewing people for possible position openings. And uh, that we, I think that's December the 7th through the 10th. So I don't think you'll hear a whole lot until then. Uh, and some stuff after signing day. Uh, you know, this is a whole process. You know, right now, most football coaches, unless you're going to a bowl, are doing what we call exit interviews with players and season ending interviews. 
And that's, I think that's where Clark is right now, seeing like 10 to 12 kids per day, uh, you know, working 10 or 12 hours doing that. Uh, just letting kids know where they stand. If you want them to come back, if you let them know, hey, you know, you can come back, but you're probably not going to play. All of that's going on right now. So uh, everyone has to be patient with the other things. You know, of course, with Coach Horrigan gone in strength and conditioning, uh, he has uh, at least five people that he's looking at as a said strength coach. So that'll take time to sort through that as well. Uh, some of those coaches may be involved in bowls and so forth. So you have to be patient as a fan, uh, but this is the most important time for Vanderbilt and, and probably it's history because of the landscape of college football. Billy. Yeah, it's, uh, it's important, Chris. And I, and I said that with Joey yesterday, you know, for every team around the country, I mean, it, it's, this is the same thing is happening and it's been happening all, all season, right? They, they call it the, the pre portaling, right? Where, I mean, this yeah. is a, a, an all year round, type thing and, and but now this is the period this this month and then into january i mean it is it's the wild west and, and it, it's yeah. ridiculous and so coaches coaches have to deal with that uh every coach does right so there's no sense in complaining about it um you know you got to attack it in the best way you can uh, because yeah. there's players everywhere uh, vanderbilt picked up one uh yesterday or last night actually in tsu Edge rusher, uh, Zaylen Wood, uh, obviously a solid pickup. But, you know, it's guys like that, that that Vanderbilt will go after. But also, I think, you know, and Joey and I talked about this, you know, for to help change some of the fan perception, I think getting some splash pickups with some proven guys uh, will, will help this program right now. And, and Clark has talked about his excitement for this offseason, right? As bad as the season went, you know, this this is the hope right here, this period this two-month period of, of, of picking guys up, coaches coming in, coaches coming out, players, all this movement. Yeah, it's a lot to deal with as a head coach, but I think it's a, it's an exciting time for fans. Um, you know, because, Chris, it's it's about looking to the future, right? Nothing. The, the games are over with for Vanderbilt, but you, you know, anytime you get a kid, right, you can picture maybe a Zaylen Wood getting a sack. And, and, and so certain things like – as a as as a fan perspective, you can you can kind of envision that when you get a kid like that. Uh, obviously, got to wait till it gets on the field, but it's it's a, it's an encouraging time for a lot of teams. But I think for Vanderbilt, as Luke said, they've got to be very strategic. And this is tense times for every program, yeah. right? And and it's it's almost even more challenging, Chris, if you're still playing, right? Yeah. It, and it's almost like Vanderbilt has, in a weird way, a little bit of a leg up on, on some teams that might still be playing right now, and every other SEC school or not every other, but most every other SEC school is other than a couple of programs. So I think that's kind of a silver lining. If there is one for Vanderbilt, you know, your, your, your season is over with and you can, you can kind of attack where, where you, where you want. Luke, I'm going to direct this to you. Um, I, I don't even know how you go about being a college football coach these days with, no. with all the, the conversations and the challenges and the, the incentives for, disloyalty I guess is a good way to put it for for players and for coaches I mean it, it's just it's crazy the the NCA has done beyond a poor job in, in getting everything here but but here they are you've, you've got to adapt to the way things are you don't have time to sit and stew um what what is the path forward for Vanderbilt football that works and and I mean it's it's got to include a pretty healthy NIL there's just no way around it at this point 
Well, improvement has to, again, you have to, even though you hate to look back, you have to look at the history of Vanderbilt football and the Southeastern Conference and how it's evolved. It used to be you only played six conference games, and now it's up to adding Oklahoma and Texas. So it just keeps continually getting harder for a school like Vanderbilt. So I think from Vanderbilt's standpoint is what do you envision as a fan? Do you think we should be a team that competes for championships or a team that's wins between five and seven games every year. Uh, realistically, that's where I'm at. I yeah. swear, that's just an opinion. Uh, it'd be great to, so I think Vanderbilt's uh, where they sit in the uh, scheme of everything. They have to move forward with, okay, what Clark started out and was hoping to do. He realizes now he can't do. And that's just build with freshman classes. Yeah. Very few. He he. There's a realization that's hit him. It also yeah. hit back house in basketball. So I think as a fan, improvement. You have to look at the hundred years of Vanderbilt football. There's only been three. We were really two consistent years. The two nine win seasons under James Franklin. That's an outlier, folks. You can say what you want to. The other ninety eight years, uh, you know, you've had a few bowls. I've been to heck of the nine bowls just to show you the least. I've been to seven of the nine bowls. They've been in their history. So, you know, and I'm still alive. <laughs> but <Yeah. you> know, <laughs> it's just uh, they have a long road ahead no matter how good things go. And, you know, we're going to have a thing where someone's going to lose. Uh, you're going to lose a player off this team and everyone's going to say, well, that's it. It's over with. You can't look at it that way. We all know this. Vanderbilt's going to get cherry picked. They're almost like a Mac team. Yeah. You know, take the best players off the Mac team. Like Tyler Steen was a perfect example. He was the first one to go to Alabama. That's the thing Vanderbilt has to fight. That's why I said this offseason is so important from an NIL standpoint. Yeah. Transfer portal, we've got to get more active, which I think, which I know we're going to be. So uh, the money thing, I don't know. We're never going to have the money that Texas A&M has to do these type of things and, and retain players. But we have to be strategic in what we do and be surgical about it. Because if we're not, then uh, you're going to flip 60 guys every year. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I just I don't buy that. Um, it, it, the money part. I mean, you, you look at that, that, that campus. They, they have money trees on that campus. I mean, I've seen them with my own eyes. They Dollar bills fall out of the trees. Obviously, that's a joke. But <laughs> I wish we'll get some <laughs> well here's here's the this is what i do not understand okay, okay. and and uh, you have a dorm that costs allegedly a billion dollars that practically casts a shadow on the football stadium what you need to win an nil is a fraction of that it, it i mean it, it should not be hard if it all you could take the right people to lunch you know, and I get that you got a separation between the collective and the university, but leaders have the ability to say, hey, this is where we need help. You, you could raise the money to compete with Georgia and NIL over lunch. I really believe that if you got the right people to buy in. I just disagree. I don't think there's enough people interested in athletics that do that. Well, that's that's the yeah, that's that's the bridge. I, I, I wish that you were correct. I, I do. Because let's let's just take John Ingram for example. My my point is, if you can get them to give to other things, why can you not get them to give to athletics? Again, because it's not important to them. It, it's just not. 
is, is that is that priorities on the other end that will never change, or is that lack of persuasive strat persuasive strategy? Probably a little bit of both, Chris. But yeah. here, here's the issue: I, I have friends who have means and have a lot of money. There, I have a few friends, believe it or not. You know, they have friends in low places. I'm the one in the low place, but they're millionaires. They could give a lot of money, but they're not going to do it when they feel like the administration. Yeah. Put that money. You know, they've been lied to so many times. I feel like that's where everything is stuck. It's the trust it factor. It's like having two wheels in the ditch and you yeah. keep the accelerator trying to get out. <clears throat> and, and, and the only thing Chris is going to help that. And sometimes it just happens is to, to do what Tim Corbin did. Yeah. Separate yourself from the from all the noise, the ancillary stuff in Magoogan or over on campus, and do it your way. And if they won't let you do it your way, then let them fire you. And then yeah. you uh, so and, and coaches have to do this too, Chris. You know, I remember just uh, a, an example of Robbie Caldwell. The one year he was the, the head coach, there were things they gave him a buyout and said, "We're going to give you this buyout, but only if you keep your mouth shut about." <laughs> So, so uh, that kind of stuff going on no one's ever going to come up and say exactly what needs to be done at Vanderbilt but it's well not- and, that, and that happened to Turner too I mean Eric Gerson report he got 1.6 million dollars and he did not speak to anybody yeah you're right and that's what happens that's it's been going on for a long time man yeah. Eddie and yeah Eddie Fogler probably in the 90s and I know I'm going back now 30 years or so but Eddie Fogler could have crushed that school yes they did and didn't do he didn't do it because he's a class guy but it probably could have helped vanderbilt if he would have um and i'm not blaming an individual it's just the mindset of the it's play. the culture i keep trying to tell me it is the culture it dates <clears throat> back 60 70 years and, and everybody over there just drinks the kool-aid like it's this big cult nobody has the guts to to, to get out of it, the, the pressure to conform to all of it is immense. And that is why they remain stuck where they are. I'm and, and, and they don't, they don't have the fortitude to bring somebody in from the outside to shake it up. I've, I've had the conversations with the people that, that are at those levels and, and I've heard it with my own ears. You're, you're correct. And, and I will give a perfect example of that if, if you come up on a car wreck today and there's someone laying on the ground in the street, you're going to have a hundred looking at it and then you're going to have one person go over there and help the individual. That's what it is. Everyone's standing around looking at each other. Was yeah. you help them? You're going to go over there and help them. Who's going to go help them? That's what they don't have. They don't, there's not a, there's not a care to factor. Well, and, and I had this conversation with a very prominent former player this week, just at random. Um, not going to name him, not even going to name the sport, but if I, if I name the name, most of you would know who this person is. And and this person came to me just apoplectic about the state of things. It's a person that was a star in his sport, but he, he cares about the other ones too. And he, he just, it's this look that I get all the time from being like, what, what are they going to do? How do they get out of this? And and I I just said to him, I, I, I still say that there needs to be a united voice of former athletes with some clout. And you got people, I think, but nobody has ever, I've been saying this for years. And then what the school did is the school created the black and gold <laughs> club 
about the time we started talking about it and saying, well, hey, we're going to we're going to do this over here. Um, and, and there's a pretty big correlation between the, the people who are, you know, willing to be the mouthpieces for the school and the people that got picked for those roles. And so the, the Will Purdue's of the world, it was a Will that I talked to, um, are just kind of still persona non grata over there. I, I know that's the case. Um, that those are the ones that they don't want to be involved in things um, that they, you know, they just, that they, they don't want outside ideas. Um, and, and so you got a mass of people like that, that are former athletes that are sitting there and they still care, but they don't know how to do anything about it. Uh, and they look around and they say, there's just not enough of us to make a difference. And everybody's stuck in that spot too. Well, all you have to do is look at the football stadium and the basketball stadium and the basketball and Memorial gym. Yeah. You, uh, you got a little over 40, 4,500 season tickets for sold in basketball. Yeah. A little over 500. Okay. I, I remember we'd have 4,500 for the Presbyterian game that would show up, you know, just for, uh, in the middle of the night when, if no one was there, you'd go to sure. a practice 450. No one cares. They don't, I, you know. Tonight, hey, look, I, I've been in that gym when they draw, they draw uh, five figures for rice or somebody in, yes. in the dead. I was going to say that, yeah. You know, I mean, you you can't draw, you can't draw that many of your own fans for Tennessee and Kentucky now. And, and sometimes I wonder. I'm, I'm not sitting there saying they're trying to run off all the fans, but when all that's left is is the people that drink the Kool Aid, no matter what. And, and the people who care and and want to change and have been rebuffed and had their doing that's that's where they are. One other one other thing, and I'll let uh, let you guys roll with something else. I feel like part of this is that both sports are in a ditch. I, I, I uh, Billy and I had a conversation yesterday, and he brought up a great question. He said, well, "Have you ever seen it any lower?" And I said, "Well, with the two sports combined, no, I haven't." Now yeah. football has been through these valleys a lot, a whole lot. But to have basketball sit alongside of it for a seven to ten year period, and even women's basketball up until this year, they're playing well, have been in that valley. I, all three of those sports, no. I've never seen it where for, for that long of a period of time that it's been in the ditch. Well, and it's getting dangerous because fans are trying to <clears throat> trying to look towards baseball. All of a sudden, there's some pressure on that baseball team that yeah. we haven't seen in a while this year. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I thought I knew I, I thought I knew what you were going to say to that question, Luke. I think Chris, you'd probably agree with that. That that the timing of this, that this that football season and this basketball season. I mean, and and Luke, I asked Chris, I asked you. You said your first year covering the basketball team went to a sweet 16. Of course, football, yeah. football team struggled, but you had that basketball team in, at a sweet 16, you know, so you could, you could kind yeah. of balance it out that way. There's, there's just, that's not there this year right now. Bill, I, I think that's a good point. I, I think, and sorry, Luke, I'll let me finish this okay. thought. I, I think pre panic has set in with baseball. It's like, yes. Oh no. That's what we got left. And let's see, they haven't gotten out of the regional last year. They didn't get out of regional the year before and didn't even host. Um, you know, one of those seasons was a, a losing record in the conference. Now, look, that they also lost 4-1 run games. Uh, yes. And also saw a lot of guys that, that pitched out of their mind the one fall game I was able to go to. And, and there's mm-hmm. – I was listening to D1 last week, and there was a couple of guys that seemed to indicate when 
they do their preseason polls, they're going to pick Vandy as, as the champion. But you, you've got the doubt that's creeped in there, and and, and people are going, man, if, if this, you know, if, if the last couple of years are more indicative of what they were than, than say, 1920 and 21 then, then what and and that's when you know that what well, that's that's a whole that's a whole different place I I, I don't even I, I disagree wholeheartedly with that I mean they won the SEC tournament they still want to you know tournaments but you, you guys Chris you're a huge baseball fan you yeah know how baseball is baseball just happens man look what the Braves yeah, I, yeah. Look, take the Atlanta Braves they were the best team in baseball for 162 games and then for a weekend, they stunk. So yeah, you know, I, I you know th- this team is still good. They're still yeah. well, still recruit well. Baseball is an outlier. They they set to the side. I, I don't have an issue with them. I'm not worried one bit about baseball. For, for the record, I I think that's where I I'm not saying I'm not worried one bit. I'm I'm a little uncertain. If you've made me park, you know, the, the bus in one place or another, I, I would I would fall more on the side of I think they can contend for a national title. But it's just the, the circumstances around everything. When people start to panic and, and lose trust, that's kind of where – that's kind of the place everybody rests. Well, and, and perception can be reality a lot of times, right. especially at Vanderbilt, you know. Um, and the perception right now is that Vanderbilt athletics um, is, is a joke. I mean – other take baseball out, like you said, Luke. Um, baseball is not a joke, of course, but basketball and football right now, with with two guys here, Luke and Chris, have covered this team for the program for a while. Luke's been in there for a while. I've said it's never been like this. You know, baseball, I, I think, can change a lot for fans, and it usually does every year, right? I mean, you, you know, you get to baseball season, and fans are finally excited about something again. So it, it can, and I'm with you, Luke. It that's it, an outlier, um, but I do think there's a tiny bit of uncertainty but of course we'll we'll see we can't fast forward quite yet we got basketball but chris we do have um you want to get into these questions we got we got several mailbag questions um and then we've got we got some chat questions as well uh but that is brought to you by sutherland and belk as i get to that read family-owned injury law firm if you or a loved one has been hurt or in an accident give taylor or russell a call 615-846- 6,200 to see what your rights are and if they can help. All right, we got a good one here in the chat here, and I, I'm going to get to the mailbag ones as well from the board. But Corey asks, why would the university invest so much money for stadium renovations and new football facilities, but then for the product to be so bad? Is it just optics at this point for the university? I, I think that's that's a good question. I mean, I, I'm certainly it, it can feel like that right now, but we've talked about this before. Guys, and this these football changes are what Chris fifty years too late. I mean, I don't twenty five. You know, some, some at least some sort of change. 70. I mean, this is the yeah. I mean, I mean, if you want, to, if you want to go back to processes and how they, you know, scholarships and stuff like that, it goes back to the fifties. And I think that's so. There was a great post on our board this week about the culture around it and that's where and I, I like the more I read it like I think I think you're right um I've always said it's it's I think it's a culture problem that there are people that control the culture and refuse to let the culture change because it's a loss of power but but I, I think it's the culture that has infiltrated the school that it's just so powerful it, it just has a a Vulcan mind grip hold 
on people over there that, that, that they just can't seem to get away from. Um, Luke yep. is really, I'm sorry, I filibuster there. Luke is really the, the better oh, person to answer the actual question, I think. I'm sorry. Repeat the question. I'm, I got a little lost. <laughs> You're good. Why would the university invest so much money for stadium renovations and new football facilities, but then for the product to be so bad? Well, I was told, first of all, that the, the if they didn't improve the facilities, there was an actual going to be, they were going to be fined and stuff like that. So I'm talking about like visiting locker rooms. So they basically they were called on the carpet on some of the facility things. Look, you're, you're competing in the Southeastern Conference, but you've got facilities that are not as, not any better than MTSUs. So, you know, they had to change that. <clears throat> They'd have a choice, in other words. But unfortunately for Vanderbilt and timings, everything, facilities aren't near as important as they used to be. Um, now it's how much money you give me. They don't care if they have to dress in, in, a, in a janitor's closet now. If you can give me money, I'll be fine. So that's – and Chris alluded to it earlier. Where's the money for that? That's what matters now is competing with the it's, – it's just like and, – and I hate to get off subject, but i got to have to say this while it's on my mind. I was looking at Mike Elko's contract, and then I know what Clark's – I know what Clark gets paid, and I know what his coach's pool money is. And it's one, and it's fourteen, and it's going to be sixteen. So there, there you are. You know, you get what you pay for. That's simple. Chris shaking his head. No response. I, I, I'm to the point where <laughs> that's kind of where you're at right now. I, have, I haven't run out of things to say. It's it's. It's that thing in my head that says, what What do you say and what do you not say at this point? Right. Yeah. It, it's, and that, it, that, that switch toggles a few times every day. <laughs> it's just a lot bigger than the athletic department. It's the it, it is. And I, that that is the concern that people have. It, that the bottom line stuff hasn't changed. And, and you can say chancellor this and chancellor that. And, you know, I, there's, there's one theory that the, that the chancellor is kind of letting this go. To, to let this way run its course and improve itself is not the way. I I don't know if that's true. That that sounds. I, I've heard so many explanations. Vanderbilt has just talked its way through everything for as long as I've done on this beat, and and for for the first probably half of it, I, I went along with it without any critical thought. After about a decade of it, I started to think, all right. I've seen some holes in this. I've seen some things that weren't followed through. And then they hit the reset button with Deermeyer and everything's going to be different this time. Guys, maybe it is. But they're they're four years into this. And, you know, it's wins and losses, and that's where they are. Um, I, yeah. when, in, when in doubt, believe what's in front of you. Yeah, and and Derek Mason talked about that during the game on the SEC network, he actually mentioned Vanderbilt's ad, ad administration. He kind of slipped it in. Uh, and, you know, I don't know that. Yeah. I would expected, would have expected that, but uh, okay. Let's go to the mailbag here. VU Wars says, I'd love to get everyone's thoughts on the various factors that might influence hypothetical coordinator and other staff firing and hiring. Chris has mentioned things like involvement in recruiting the current class. And Luke has mentioned the coaches conference. Um, 
Chris, you you may you make a good point about the the coaches that that don't affect this current class. Brandon Horgan is 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 one of those guys, of course, the the strength and conditioning coach. Um, you know, I I mean, I, I'm sure when they bring players on on campus, they may meet him, but he's not influential uh, in that in that process. And Joe and I talked about that as well. Um, but Luke, that coaches conference, I think people are interested in that. And you know, you told me that about that yesterday. What what importance does that hold, and 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 you know how many coaches uh, attend that? Uh, a ton of coaches. I, I uh, for instance, what what goes on at the F- AFCA besides a, a lot of drinking and a lot of BSing is uh, these coaches get into rooms, they get into uh, meeting rooms, and they interview coaches. That's why they all meet in one place. And they, uh, if you uh, if you're a bowl team. You, you know, you, you're still going to be there because it happens, I think, uh, December 7th through the 10th, unless your bowl is really early. I don't know. What, what's the first bowl this year, guys? What date do we know offhand? Oh, oh man. I want to say de- a couple de- of weeks. December 16th or 17th, that, that Saturday here in a couple of weeks. Okay, so everybody pretty much can be there. Uh, the teams that are practicing for bowls, obviously their whole staff can't be, but there can always at least be an operations guy there. So just about every school is, is represented by, uh, if, if you're like Vanderbilt, just about every coach will be over there. Um, and and you're, you're interviewing, you're, you know, a lot of guys just looking at the future. Uh, where will I be if, 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 say, this doesn't work out and Clark's gone in two years, uh, I got to look and say, okay, do I need to take a look at something here at Virginia or wherever it may be? Uh, and you do all the interviewing and stuff there. Uh, and a lot, it's a whole lot of happening going on there. It's almost like the, the, the Bilderberg group out in California. <laughs> okay. OG706 has a good one here. Will Vanderbilt football ever have a winning season under the current NIL conditions? It's hard to envision right now, of course. I mean – you know, you can basically talk yourself into saying no to a lot of these questions because of the state of the program right now. Uh, but I want to bring up Northwestern. Northwestern went one and eleven last year, and all was all felt lost, right? <coughs> Verge of collapse, right? Huge, huge scandal, whatever you want to call it. In the off season, they pick up and go. Chris, what was it? Seven and five this year, six and six, uh, and and you know, with the interim David David Braun, and he got Big Ten Coach of the Year. That's a peer school right there. Credit to Northwestern. I mean, get, give it up for them. That's a hell of a season after a yep. one and eleven season last year. Why can't Vanderbilt do that? I mean, what what's stopping Vanderbilt from doing that? I know they're in the SEC. I know they're behind everyone else. So is Northwestern, and they're in the Big Ten. They got look at who's coming into the Big Ten. So, and I, you know, there's probably an easy argument for that. Vanderbilt is Vanderbilt. Northwestern has more recent success. You could argue. But at the end of the day, that's the same type of school as Vanderbilt. Northwestern has invested. You see that new stadium they've got coming out? It's going to be beautiful. Vanderbilt's investing too, but I think Northwestern put about seven hundred million. Vanderbilt put about three hundred million. That's kind of you know that that's that's where where everything's at right now. But Chris, I mean, it's easy to say no right now. But I bring up a school like a Northwestern, and and I know it's tough because Vanderbilt hasn't been relevant like Northwestern has as of late. But, I mean, that's the blueprint, man. I mean, and, and I know that, that the division they're in in the Big Ten, obviously, is not the SEC East. Uh, that's probably a, a good excuse there. But 
I, I don't. I just don't think there's any more excuses right now for Vanderbilt, especially when you have a school like a Northwestern that that pulls off a six and six season after going one and eleven. Look, um, for, for for years until the whole system changed, the, the the narrative was among other things how how can you compete with all these teams? They're all cheating. They're all paying kids under the table. We're we're not going to do that. Okay, fine. I respect that. It's all legal now. I, I know Luke says that's not going to, but just play along with me. If, if you if you had the twenty million dollars or so that Georgia allegedly has, why why would kids not come there? That's a good question. Why why not? I I think I think it's fixable. I do. I mean, but, but I agree. Got to, you've got to have people bought in. Um, and, and I know we partner. You know, the, the collective is our title sponsor. But I've been, I've been saying that before this was even seated. So my thought on it's never changed. It's a good question, and and right now there's a lot of good questions and not many answers. It feels like uh, <laughs> you know, around around this program, Luke. I don't know if you. Well, I mean, Northwestern and Vanderbilt, do you agree with that? I'll give you a couple of things about Northwestern. We've had, we had, and I don't know if that's the same now. You know, I've, I've been gone for five years. But believe it or not, kids that got into Northwestern couldn't get into Vanderbilt. Now, tell me that's right. Tell me how that's right. If a kid can get into Northwestern, Chris, why can't he get into Vanderbilt? What would be what would be the reason to have him have to wait? Northwestern's offered the kid. This is something that happened, okay? When I was there, he was accepted at Northwestern. He wanted to come to Vanderbilt, but Vanderbilt was dragging their feet, letting them know if he could get in or not. Now, why would that be? A, since you worked in higher ed, how could why would that be a situation? Hey, who who controls the situation? The school controls it. There we I go. Called anybody on the outside. And here's the other, I, I get that people are having a hard time with the idea of NIL and paying players, and some have described it as gross. And I, I get, and I think where I do think it is gross is this current situation that exists where you've literally got kids playing for one team, negotiating with their rival. While they're playing in, in one jersey, they're, they're talking about play, and, and it puts everybody in a bad spot, and it's a terrible system. But it's a system you have right now. And, and nobody – there are, I don't know how many dozens of administrators at Vanderbilt making seven figures. Nobody finds that gross. Who brings more revenue to the school? And, and, and I, I get that it doesn't always work that way. It's higher ed. You know, a, a professor of whatever may not bring revenue to the school, and yet he has to be present to exist <laughs> for the school to, to carry out its mission. I get it, but I don't know, man. I, I just don't think people have shifted their thinking – and come to grips with reality. And I think that's what happens when the culture is so ingrained at a place like Vanderbilt, where it is this moral high ground that if it's abandoned, you almost lose your identity. I just don't think you can look at it like that. You, you got to have some common sense and look around. What, what would a football program that wins do for this university? I think we all know the answer to that. So the second question is, what does it take? Okay, it's going to take a lot of money to get there. Okay, how do we do it? How do we convince people and get them to buy in? And by the way, none of this is directive to the guys that, that run the collective. 
Uh, I think they're good guys. I think they're doing a good job. We, we like them a lot. But it, it is that bigger picture buy-in that people have got to start shifting the thinking in. I mean, the, the, the best sports book I've ever read, I'm, I'm sorry to filibuster the podcast here, and I've got to go in about 10 minutes. You guys are, are welcome to carry on without me. But I, I would encourage everybody to read a book. Marvin Miller, who is a baseball agent, uh, the Players Union, wrote a book. And it's one of the best sports books I've ever read in my life. And it was Marvin Miller took over the Players Union in the 60s um, and was a, a liberal Democrat. And he would go through and, and, and look at this and say, this system is so screwed. Because what happens is the owners have the right to every year they have something called the reserve clause. That means, Billy, if I'm if I'm the owner of the Cincinnati Reds and you're my employee, I've got you under contract. Um, I have the right to bring you back under contract next year. Right. Or I have the right to release you. Totally one-sided. And the reserve clause was this thing that allegedly held baseball up. And the minute the reserve clause is eliminated – Baseball is going to fall apart. Owners are going to go broke, blah, blah, blah. Look at what baseball franchises sell for now compared to what they sold for in the 60s and 70s. Look at the revenue numbers for baseball. Shohei Itani is going to make a billion dollars somewhere. And baseball is not going to be any worse off because of it. Mm -hmm. But players would fight Marvin Miller on this. Player reps would fight Marvin Miller on this. They'd say, you're crazy. You're about to ruin the game. And it took him a long time. He had a few people that got it. But, I mean, the, the people that stood to benefit from the system were fighting him on it because the owners had brainwashed the players into saying, if you guys do this, we're going to break baseball and nobody's going to have a job. How did that turn out? I, yeah. I would suggest anybody that's remotely interested in that topic read that book. It, it's not a popular book. I found it by happenstance. And, and and ever since I read that book, I cannot get that out of my mind because it is a lesson on economics. It is a lesson on being being sheep in a system <laughs> that makes no sense. Um, it is a lesson in the power of what it takes to change people's minds. And shift thinking. And and I think if Vanderbilt ever had a revolution of thinking like that, we, we would not be having these podcasts one after another. It would look a lot different. But they just, for whatever reason, they cannot break out of it. We got a couple of $5 super chats from uh, Justin Holland here. Uh, thanks, Justin. He has, why can't we have nice things? H have the riches stopped giving to athletics after John Sr. passed away? It It's like it's only Ingram giving. Right now, I, I don't know. I'm not as in tune with with uh, the rich family, uh, Chris and Luke. I know you you guys definitely are. Um, I'm not sure if the donor the donor base has obviously changed as you know people grow old, whatever things happen. Um, from y'all's experience, though, what I mean ha has that dynamic kind of shifted at all, or is that does that question not really not really apply? Well, the rich family, first of all. John Rich probably saved Vanderbilt Athletics at one time back in the early 80s. Um, the Magugan, when Magugan was built in 80, I guess 1980, 79, somewhere in that area. I can't remember. Uh, 
and he, but his family and they're still involved. They still love Vanderbilt. Uh, his son played at Vanderbilt, and uh, I have conversations from time to time with Tate and some of them. And basically, they just feel like Vanderbilt doesn't get it. And why do you keep pouring money down a black hole? Now, you have the John Ingram, and he has his friends. And then you have some folks in Texas, I won't mention their names because I don't think they'd want me to, that have given a lot of money and still give money to this day, a lot of money. But there's not a whole lot of them. There really isn't. Uh, and again, that's that's what the university has to find. They have to find, like, like Chris says, why can't we raise that money? Uh, there's not enough people interested. Kind of a good counterpoint to that. Justin adds, all-around athletic success would make the non-academic people at Vanderbilt look smart, which hurts the academic people standing, eliminating leverage. I think that's a good point. And from the top, that's probably something Vanderbilt is scared of. If, 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 if their university is known for athletics, they probably wouldn't be too thrilled. And that might be... The problem here that might be the root of the of, of the issue. I think that's a good point by Justin. Um, let's see here. We got another mailbag question. Uh, let, let's get into the weeds of football here. Denver Door. Assuming NIL funds are available, who are the five current players we must not lose this off season? I think that's a really good question. I actually talked about this with a little bit with Joey yesterday. I would go and not really in level of importance, but C.J. Taylor. Langston Patterson, London Humphreys. Uh, let's see here. And then after that, th for me, those are the three guys. I guess you could throw Junior Sherrill in there. Um, after that, I might just have those four guys that are must. Bryce Cowan is a guy. There's a lot of those young guys um, that that I think you, you, you just can't afford to lose. And to the surprise of some people, maybe Will Shepard I don't think is on that list. I, I, I would expect. You know, I mean, I expect Will Shepard to to likely transfer again. I don't know that. That that's that's just me guesstimating here. But I think pe most people are aware of the guys that that they have to keep. Chris and Luke. I don't know if y'all have any any different players you want to throw in the bag there. No, I, mean, I, I, I think. Go ahead, Luke. I, I don't. I, I think you're pretty accurate with those guys. Now, there's obviously some that we. The developmental kids, like you mentioned, with Bryce Cowan, who's going to be impact player, I think, next year. Obviously, those guys. But the guys that have proven that they can play at this level, the ones you mentioned are uh, pretty much the ones I would think. Chris, you in, in agreement there? I mean, off the top of my head, I'm thinking Langston Patterson, London Humphreys. Uh, yeah. C.J. Taylor. And, and, and Patterson and Humphreys in particular because they got – they got three more years to go. So, I mean, yes. CJ Taylor's got what one year left. Yes. So, I mean, you, you want to, obviously you want to keep him around, but you know, you, you lose one of those guys in particular and you're, you're not just losing for next year. You're losing him for two more. So. Yeah. I think you could throw a guy like Martel Hyde in there kind of, you know, yeah. more of a, more of a project type, but I mean, he, he could be a good player. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, Grayson Morgan, you throw in there. Leighton Nelson, certain, you know, certain O-linemen in there as well. Ashmore, I think, is a guy that they'd like to keep. Gunnar Hansen. Um, so I think there's guys that that they they know, you know, if, if they lose, that, you know, that that all of a sudden is a lot more work on their end. Um, 
let's see here, Chris, you, you want to take one more question and then, and then uh, leave it to Luke and I, I, I will. And, and a reminder, um, this is also presented by the Maynard Nixon government contracts group. They advise a government government contractors on all aspects of their needs with a proud focus on matching legal solutions to business needs. Um, we really appreciate what they do. So g- give me one more. I've got, I've got to do a radio thing in two minutes. Um, it's, it's been a morning around here. <laughs> so okay. yeah, I'll, I'll take quick. one and then I'll, I'll let you guys, you guys are welcome to finish up on your own without me. Okay. Yeah. Real quick. We didn't talk, we haven't talked about this yet. Joey and I got to this, but Brian, Brennan Horgan, uh, go doors 94. I thought Horgan was well-regarded when, when, when he was hired, were there specific areas we underperformed and can we expect improvement with a new strength coach? Uh, Chris Clark talked about it almost every you know, fall after every fall camp practice about the small, the soft tissue ish, injuries uh, issues that plays into this, I think. And, and, you know, the guys that were out in certain games this year hurt them a lot. So I think that's part of it. Uh, but, but Horgan was well, well regarded Chris, but I think the Clark had pointed to, to making changes and I wasn't really, I wasn't, I was a little surprised, but definitely not shocked by this, this move. That, that one's a little complicated. I've I've heard different sides on it, and I don't really feel comfortable speaking to it at the moment, without a little more research. Yeah, Luke. Yeah, I've got a lot to say about it. Um, I think this is probably the biggest thing that you'll hear above transfers, above portal entries, and let me tell you why: the strength coach is the second most important person in that building for football. He has them seven months out of the year. And you have to be, as a strength coach, you have to develop relationships with those kids. You, they have to love you. And, and, and when, when you have a, a guy leave, you're always going to have a certain percentage of the team that liked him, a certain percentage of the team that didn't. But what you have to have in a strength coach is basically 90% of those kids buy in and love him. Right. In my time at Vanderbilt, I saw probably eight or ten strength coaches. That was the second most important position in the building besides the head coach. Uh, if they don't buy in and don't want to run through a brick wall for that strength coach, then you got issues because, they're, like I said, they're with them more than the football coaches are. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that relationship with the strength coach, that's, that's the most important thing that's come out, of course, obviously, so far. But I think it's the most important one anyway. I think that's more important than coordinators is that strength coach. Because if you watch our football team, and and I'm not blaming Brandon for all the errors and all the problems, but there was definitely the speed, the strength, Mm -hmm. there's a big difference. We see it. You can see it on film. I mean, you don't don't have to be too smart to see that. Uh, And I think that it's huge. Uh, this, This choice for Clark is probably going to tell his career whether he makes it or not. Yeah, I mean, it. it I agree, Luke, and, and Joe and I touched on it a lot um, yesterday in, in that episode. Uh, we got another good question here from Godors94. With regard to the coordinators, were there specific things you guys didn't like about the offense this year, uh, including the quarterback situation, handling? Same question for defense. So, so we'll start with offense. Uh, and, and, you know, we've talked about this all year. Luke, for me – Number one, there was there was almost no continuity um, 
at, at most positions other than receiver. I mean, you kind of knew what your receivers were going to give you, right? Uh, but it's hard when you don't have protection from the offensive line. It's hard when you, uh, you, know, you, you don't really know, especially late in the season, who's going to go out there at quarterback. So continuity for me was the biggest thing. Chemistry, you know, we came into this season talking a lot about um, the chemistry and just cohesion of this, this, this offensive unit uh, through fall camp. Didn't really see much of that uh, this year. You, know, you saw it in flashes. Heck, second play against Georgia, you know, pr- pretty pretty good there. But you just didn't see it all come together. Um, but look, we've ta- we talked about this for you. What what issues are you looking to be fixed offensively uh, that that might you know that might prompt a move, uh, especially in this off season? Well, I think there's a realization that we have to have a quarterback that can move, and you. Yeah. And- Today's college football, with all the athletes and pass rushers and blitzes and stuff that you have to protect against, you, you can't have a statue back there. Right. Uh, it doesn't matter how strong our Army has or how good. Uh, I'll give you a perfect example. University of Tennessee with Joe Milton. They always talk about he can throw the ball 90 yards and this and that. Uh, we couldn't put pressure on him, and that's part of the reason why he was able to uh, do so well against us. But when they play a team like a Georgia uh, – or uh, Alabama or whatever, and they can't protect him, and he has to rush his throws, they're high and wide. They're low. Because even though he can move, he's still kind of – He's a big old boy back there. He just kind of stood there a lot of times when he should have got out of pocket. So I think, number one, Vanderbilt has to have a mobile quarterback. I really do. I think that because, number one, your offensive line is not going to always be the best, and you're going to get superior athletes a lot of times on Saturday in the conference. So you got to have a mobile quarterback, number one. And number two, you have to have an identity. I didn't ever see an identity with us. Part of that was not – part of that was all the turnovers that happened early in the year. You never got it on track. The wheels never got on track. Uh, that was part of it. So, I, But if you, if you notice, in a lot of our games in our first drives, for instance, the Georgia first drive, the Tennessee first drive, a lot of, a lot of times those drives are scripted and the kids are real comfortable. Right. Boom, boom, here's what we're doing, boom, boom, boom. And they haven't seen you yet, the other team. Uh, so being able to move back, that's very important to this offense. And uh, But I think the number one thing is a mobile quarterback. An off-schedule guy, right, where when things go wrong with the offensive line, and, and that they did a lot this year, you know, right. improvise. You need you got to get a guy that can create on the run. And, uh, you know, now Adrian did that a little bit, just not to the degree that I think Vanderbilt needs. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Ken, Ken did it a little bit, but those guys were not not runners, right? I mean, they, they, they showed what they could do in the pocket, uh, but not quite what, what Vanderbilt needs. Let, let's go defensively here, Luke. Um, obviously, there's a lot. Um, I think coming into this year, we talked about it a lot, the, the, the pressure get with four. Pressure with four was something that we thought they could they could they can improve at didn't really change uh, from last year. You know, it, it really didn't. And, and, you know, they, they, they would send simulated pressures. And, and a lot of times when they would send linebackers, it was just too slow, too slow developing, or they would easily get blocked. Right. And, and all of a sudden you've got two linebackers on the line. You've got what, six guys there. You got five other guys left to guard those, the, the other receivers, you know, and one-on-ones quarterback runs around Rattler at, for South Carolina. It was a perfect example of that that game same thing with dart at Ole Miss and Milton not as much because he's not as much of an improviser uh, but against those quarterbacks that are mobile and can move you really saw that uh, heck even 
little bit against Alabama A&M and even UNLV, especially UNLV too. But yeah, and then secondary, Luke, I just think they, I don't think the skill is there on the secondary. The skill is there at linebacker, but in the secondary and on the front seven, you just, you got to get more horses there, I think. And, and, and once you get those guys, you know, and you can get pressure with four, because that's what the Franklin teams did a lot of, Luke. They, they were able to get pressure with four and get to the quarterback, and they were creative. Once Vanderbilt can do that, the defensive issues will change. But right now, for me, Luke, that those are the main issues. I don't know if you saw anything else defensively uh, this season. Well, let's start and go top down from the secondary back. To me, the biggest problem with the secondary, everyone talks about not athletic and that type of thing. Uh, the eye discipline was the worst. It's the worst I've seen in a long time. Now, I know you don't coach. You obviously coach a kid to use his eyes. That's the most important thing. I saw it happen twice in the Tennessee game where the eye discipline cost them. Mm-hmm. And it, it has, it's, it's not knowing where the ball is. It's not. That's all it is to it. Now, is that that the kid doesn't have the ability to do that? If he's coached or, or the message is not getting to the kid? There's something, there's a disconnect there with their eye discipline. It's poor. Uh, we said before the season started that well, <coughs> the biggest concern was the corners. And, uh, and we, but we felt like there would be a better pass rush than there was. So we didn't get either one of them. So there, that, that explains a whole lot of why there was big splash plays against us. Right. Um, we did okay against the run on first and second down, but our third down defense was horrid. And that has to do with scheme. It has to do with want to. has to do with just making a play and getting off the field, having more C.J. Taylors out there, that type of thing. I thought the injuries hurt, too, a little bit, Luke. It feels like kind of a weak excuse, but Derricky didn't look healthy all year. Jalen Mahoney was out against uh, Kentucky, and they just they didn't help. And it's all, <coughs> soft tissue got them a little bit this year. Cough is getting me right now. Um Got a super chat from Justin Holland. Luke, how did you enjoy working with Steve Franks? Steve Franks, Steve, uh, Steve Franks, Atlanta Marist High School is where he came from. Steve's oh, a good, wow. man, good fella. He, uh, uh, you know, he actually I ran into him at a Vandy baseball game. Uh, I guess it was last year, or the year before. He 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 had a kid that from his high school was was pitching for Georgia. I think I saw him. Uh, okay. Good guy, good guy. Okay, we'll try to wrap up here soon, Luke. Uh, let's see here. Uh, two, 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 two. Okay, this, this is a good question, right? We talk about movement with, with coaches, right? Um, you know, coaches coming in, coaches coming out. Why has nothing happened yet, Luke? Is that it, I think it's a good question on the board, right? You saw Brandon Horgan relieved of his duties. What 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 is the holdup there? Is that a recruiting type thing? Is that an exit meeting type thing from your experience? Uh, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, the, right now you're addressing a lot. Of people already know whether they're going to be retained or not, but some of them don't. So, you know, we're going to wait till recruiting's over and the AFCA because you're kind of waiting to see who's available. When you know you, you're you're collecting all this data right now. Of, okay, the for instance, I'm just saying the Indiana coaching staff got fired. So how many of them are being retained by the next coach? There's a whole lot of variables that go into that. So you don't want to make a knee-jerk reaction and say, okay, oh, I'm, I know him. I want him here. you got to wait and let the smoke clear a little bit for a team like Vanderbilt. Now, the schools that have 
no questions about their money and how much they can pay their coordinators and all that. That's why you see those things happen fast because they're not, they're unlimited. It's like, go get them. You don't have to negotiate and see how much money I can get. If you want him, you got him. For instance, when Mike Elko went to Texas A&M, I mean, maybe he's bringing his whole staff from Duke. I don't know. But if he has a coordinator that he wants at A&M that he couldn't afford at Duke, he knows he can get that at A&M, so he doesn't have to wait on it. So you have to kind of sit back and wait and be patient with it because it, any changes that are forthcoming, staff-wise, coaching-wise, whatever it may be, uh, will probably be still a ways off. There may be one or two pop up, but it's not going to be complete for a while. Well, it didn't take long for the strength and conditioning uh coach and, and staff to be relieved uh sebastian right. comes in here he chimes in he said he believes it was a power statement by clark to to remove horrigan and not an easy one uh for him by by any means of course it's never easy letting go of any coach right. could adam smotherman be an option smotherman coach smo of course beloved by uh everyone at vanderbilt and and luke of course you know you know you were there when he played and of course uh he came back and coached correct at, at uh at vanderbilt for a little bit Right. Um, and I, and now he's at he's at Virginia now. Correct. I can give you some names that should be on Clark's list. If it's not, he, he ought to be whipped. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jeff Madden. You're too young to remember Jeff. Jeff was at Texas, won a national championship with Mac Brown there. Jeff played offensive line for Vanderbilt on the uh, 82 Hall of Fame Bowl team. He would crawl back to Nashville to be the head strength coach. Jeff Mad Dog Madden. That's one. Chuck Losey from Penn State played at Vanderbilt. He's the head guy at Penn State. Adam Smotherman, obviously, a terrific human being, great guy, great strength coach. John Sisk, who was at Vanderbilt with Bobby Johnson, should he probably knows as much about strength and conditioning as anybody I've ever met. Uh, those four names right there jump out, jump off the page at me. Uh, I'm excited about whoever it is. Uh, I, uh, I think that Clark will make the right choice, uh, but I think he's got a – some interviews that you want to get that you want to get that one in place pretty quick because you start yep. pretty soon. Now you'll, you've still got some guys that were on the wait staff that's here, but you know, you, your heart's got to be in it guys. If you know you're gone, uh, it's a little tough to crawl out of bed and go to work and do what you're supposed to do. So that you got to just got to get them in here quick. Yeah. And you got to imagine Luke, that can make a pretty big impact early on uh, with, with a lot of these changes happening. A strength coach can, can stop a lot of anxiety and concerns from players, right? Yeah. Maybe wake some players up, maybe maybe oh, reignite yeah. some guys. I mean, that, you know, early, you know, and before the spring even starts, right? Because you said they'll be getting in here in the winter, um, you know, kind of some of those early workouts. So that that I can can infuse a lot of change early that this this program needs. Clark knows that. And and they they need it right now. And and you know whether it's whether it's Smo or Losey or or you know, and either of those two guys you mentioned, Losey with the mustache there. I mean, you've seen pictures of him and when when he was with Franklin. I don't know that he had that, but you know, and even Coach Smo got two guys that have been at Vanderbilt and have 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 succeeded. I think you know you can't go wrong with with either of those guys. Um, Luke, that kind of wraps up our question uh, portion of this. Before we we wrap it up, though, anything you want to leave fans with? Anything you want to you know want to remind them of and kind of encourage them on and and uh, keep their keep their hopes up? Yeah, I mean uh, the football. Let, let, let's just say this now. Let's take football as separate entity from basketball. Okay, guys, right. we have 
we have gone through a lot worse situations than we're in in football. It may not seem like it because we lost 10 games. Mm-hmm. In a, you can't even remember when we won a game. But I went through, and Vanderbilt fans have been through that are as old as me or older, went through a longer lull than what we're in right now, believe it or not. In the 70s, late 70s, we didn't win a game for five, a conference game for five years. We just won mm-hmm. two. Like, <laughs> and those are obviously that's not acceptable. I'm not saying that at all. Okay. Right. I'm not defending that. But what I'm saying is football is a tougher nut to crack than anything they've got over there, simply because of the numbers you have to have to turn it around. So the margin for error is always going to be small. And in my opinion, we need to try to be a five to seven win football team. When we're able to do that, then I think everyone will be not not necessarily satisfied, but a lot happier with football. Uh, The basketball situation that has to be rectified this year. I don't care about Ken Palm. I don't care about injuries. I don't care about anything. This is year five. Uh, we've been to the NIT, closed the season well for two straight years. It can't be that same scenario. It can't be. Uh, no. I, I just feel like that if you're a fan of basketball, uh, come out tonight and hopefully we'll beat Boston College. I know they've got a great center in Quentin Post, but uh, – it's a big win, and I know we're a two-and-a-half-point favorite, so there you go. There you go. There you go. Luke, thanks for uh, thanks for doing this today. Thank you. You have a great day. You too. For Luke Wyatt, I'm Billy Derek. Thanks, thanks all you guys, for checking, especially on, on the chat and the mailbag. And uh, we, will, we will see you guys next time, probably next episode. I would guess would be next week. Joey and I will probably get something out after the game tonight. Uh, go, uh, go subscribe to our YouTube channel. Subscribe to VannySports.com if you haven't yet. And uh, we will uh, we'll see you guys next week with uh, with Luke and Chris. But uh, thanks for checking in. You've been listening to another episode of the Vandy Sports Podcast.